Hi, this is Bill, and this episode of Open Out called A Changing Country was recorded before we experienced the full impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. This virus that really doesn't seem to notice whether you are a recently arrived immigrant or a Canadian whose family goes back long before Sir Charles Tupper. Tragic circumstances can be profound equalizers, and we've had an opportunity over the last little while to see just how deeply we need one another, how much our lives and our actions can so impact one another. One day, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, we'll be moving into that time after the pandemic, and in that time we might be re-envisioning our lives and our faith communities. And perhaps the ideas here can deepen our commitment to creating communities in which anyone Everyone, regardless of their color, culture, language, race, ability, or identity, will know deep in their bones that they belong, that they matter to one another, to this world, and to God. And so, here is today's episode, Curious Too, A Changing Country. Welcome to Open Out, a podcast series and interactive online presence about the nitty-gritty of creating intentionally open communities. The very practical side of welcoming folk from different cultures into our own lives. This series hopes to provide a unique space to explore the challenges of difference. An environment where all of us, whatever our background, can gently open our hearts and heads to diversity. My name is Bill Miller, and Prior to creating Open Out, I was pastor of Knox United in Winnipeg for 14 years, one of the most culturally diverse faith communities in Canada. It didn't begin that way, and so its journey provided the base for much of this research. Openout.ca is the website connected to this project, where you can download material and link to the entire podcast series. Group leaders and others can find additional resources at openoutextra.com. In this initial series of podcasts called Curious, we are beginning to explore why faith communities or other groups might want to welcome greater cultural diversity, make space in their minds and hearts for those who not only look and sound different, but also think and act in ways we might not expect. Among the reasons we might want to start thinking about this is because Canada itself is changing. That's the focus of this episode. We'll look at the changing cultural and racial character of Canada, what academics call demographics. We'll look specifically at some projections of what Canada is likely to look like in another 15 or 20 years. In the next episode, A Changing Church, we'll look at some of the startling statistics concerning the church itself and what it might look like in 15 or 20 years. This episode may surprise you. The next one might even shock you. There is a great bookstore in a suburban mall near my home. It's, it's, it's in a middle-class neighborhood, older homes. At one time, quite affluent, but less so now. One of the few ridings in Western Canada that habitually votes liberal, white, university-educated, middle professionals. While I was there, I needed to pick up a few groceries, so I headed out through the mall towards the co-op. It was a Thursday. The mall was pretty quiet. 
he was standing in one of those kiosks, the kind that sell and fix cell phones. A young man, nice looking, waiting for his next customer, I guess. And then suddenly he was gone, disappeared. I blinked. I thought, what the? I got closer and closer. Still no man. As I walked past the kiosk, I could see him. He was on his prayer mat, kneeling, praying. Now, praying in the mall is a new experience for many Canadians. What if I'd wanted a cell phone? What should I have done? Waited? Stood watching him pray? Is that rude? Come back later. Cleared my throat. Tapped my fingers on the kiosk. This is the new Canada, and we are all learning. Newcomers and Canadian-born alike, learning how to be community together, how to forge a new nation together. Metamorphosis is a process in which an organism undergoes a conspicuously abrupt change in body structure through changes in its cellular structure, changes in the tiny bits that it is made of. Canada has been in the process of metamorphosis for some time, a process in which the new Canada that is emerging will be conspicuously different, no longer dominated by a white European majority. Instead, it will either be a society of interactive circles where diverse cultures both maintain and interconnect, or it will be a strained, polarized country of small cohorts and competing ethnic communities. Except for the indigenous population, Canada is, of course, a country of immigrants. But recently, that has come into clear focus. In 2016, about 22% of Canadians were foreign-born and came here as immigrants or refugees. 46% of Toronto, almost half the population, were born in another land. 29% of Calgarians. Just slightly under one in four people living in Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Ottawa have emigrated to this country. Though most newcomers gravitate to the large urban centers, their presence is now beginning to reshape smaller communities as well. In the past... Many immigrants came from Europe. Today, they tend to come from Asia or Africa. That leads us to a topic that makes many liberal-minded folk twitch a bit. Color. Race. Of course, race is implicit in demographic changes. On the basis of physical appearance alone, for example, facial characteristics, it's hard to distinguish a Londoner from a Latvian. The hues are broadening, skin color changing. Skin tone is but one measure of, of race. Race is more than hue. It is culture and history. It's where your people were in the heyday of colonialism. It's how you understand yourself in the world. It's language and story, lament and song, and much more. But it is also about color. StatsCan uses the term visible minority. Others use words like racialized or people of color. Currently, in 2016, 51.4% of people living in Toronto are visible minority. In Toronto already, the minority are now the majority, 
and the majority is now the minority. This might be a surprise to the first group, but it indeed may be a challenge to the second, those who have been Torontodians for the longest. For it requires a change in how they think of themselves and their city, the assumptions their brains have been using for decades. They're not alone, however. In Vancouver, 49% of the people living in the city are visible minority. 25% of Ottawa, 26% of Winnipeg, 28% of Edmonton, 34% of Calgary. Across the country, 22.3% of us are so-called visible minority. It's almost one in four Canadians. And this specifically does not include what Statistics Canada calls Aboriginal identity. And here the census folk include First Nations, Métis, and Inuit. Across Canada, over 2 million of us, or just over 6% of the population, are Aboriginal. Tire in the prairies, where 12% of people living in Manitoba and 16% of people in Saskatchewan are Aboriginal identity. This means that while a few cities have more brown or black people than white, there are many places where nearly half are people of color. If you think about this, does it change your image of what the typical Canadian looks like? One of the most important documents produced in our country, sadly overlooked by most churches, is a document put out by Statistics Canada with a not-quite-inspirational title of Immigration and Diversity, Population Projections for Canada and its Regions, 2011 to 2036. You can find a link to it at openout.ca. While parts are pretty technical, their explanation of their methodologies, for example, exhausted my little brain. But the basics are simple. They use census data, present and past, to provide projections into the future. They use two projections, a high immigration and a low immigration one. But for ease, I'll use the midpoint between the two. The findings are pretty astonishing. Here are just a few highlights of what Canada could look like in 2036. In Toronto, well over half the population will be immigrants. If we include children of these immigrants, almost 80% of the city's population will be newcomer. 80%. Four out of five Torontonians will be from away. In Vancouver, it will be seven out of ten. In Calgary, six out of ten. In Winnipeg, my own hometown, one in three will be newcomers. If we include their children... Over half, 54% will be. It's the same number for BC's lower mainland communities of Mission, Abbotsford. Montreal, Edmonton, Hamilton, Kitchener, Waterloo, all will have over half their population as either immigrant or child of an immigrant. Nationally, just under half of us will be immigrant or child of an immigrant. Half! Well, immigration has always been a significant part of our character and identity as Canadians the profile of the immigrant is changing. Not that long ago, in 1986, about two out of three immigrants were European-born, and about one out of every six were Asian. By 2011, the European-born immigrants were down to about one out of three 
and about half of the immigrants were coming from Asia. In 2036, they estimate that about three out of five immigrants will be from Asia, over 10% from Africa, and only about one out of every six from Europe, a complete reversal. Given our history, slavery in the U.S., residential schools here, the internment of the Japanese, it's not surprising race is a sensitive topic. Some folk, of course, say they don't see race. Well, you know, I, I think this might be true for very young children. But adults who say this are almost always white. Not seeing race is one of the apparent perks of being in the majority. You don't have to see it. It has not been an issue for them. But if we listen to the experiences of others, or if we ourselves are people of color and draw on our own experience, race matters. And our country's racial character is changing. The projections are that in 2036, well over one out of every three Canadians will be so-called visible minority. And this does not include First Nations folk. 40% of the children in our schools will be visible minority. 40% of all babies born here. And almost the same in the working age population. Here again, the cities will experience the greatest diversity. 68% of people living in Toronto will be visible minority. 64% of Vancouverites, two-thirds. Just over half of Calgary will be visible minority. Calgary. Half will look more like their mayor than their premier. Visible? Yes. But minority? Not anymore. Imagine people walking on the sidewalks of Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa, Windsor, Regina, the Queen City herself, Kitchener, Waterloo, and Saskatoon. In all these communities, between one-third and one-half of folk on the street will be people of color. And again, these figures specifically do not include people who are identified as Aboriginal ancestry. Projections for the Indigenous populations can be found in a document also put out by Statistics Canada with the almost equally inspiring title, Projections of the Aboriginal Population and Households in Canada, 2011 to 2036. A link to this document is also on the website. Indigenous populations vary across the country, but they estimate, for example, that one out of five Manitobans will be First Nations, one out of six Winnipeggers. Taken together, this means that in my hometown, 16 years from now, about two-thirds of the population will be brown or black an intriguing mix of those who have been here for millennia and those who have just arrived. The settlers will only be about one-third of the community. Where will they be coming from? Well, they think pretty much where they're coming from now. Asia, mostly, including South Asia and Southeast Asia, but also significant numbers from Africa and the Middle East. Well... How will our churches respond to the increasing diversity in our neighborhoods? Will we welcome and engage newcomers, those who come with different accents and hues, different names and faces? What happens if we don't? How will our nation respond? Some years ago, in a book called A Fair Country, Telling Truths About Canada, John Ralston Saul argued that actually Canada is not a European country, not a culture made in the image of the so-called Enlightenment values of France and Britain, 
but instead, he says, a Métis nation formed by the interaction between the French and English-speaking immigrants and the First Nations who were here. Fusion. See, European-style conquest demanded roads, but they were not possible in this vast land. So the Europeans had to learn to accommodate. He claims, for example, that the Canadian idea of enlarging the circle has no roots in European thought, but is deeply embedded in indigenous thinking. So, will we continue to enlarge the circle? Or now that the information superhighway does not depend on physical roads, will we drift away from that core concept? Okay, so Canada's population is changing. Why? How did this happen? To really understand the changes in the Canadian population, we need first to look at population growth, how Canada's population grew in the past. For most of the 20th century, Canada's population growth was based on what StatsCan delicately calls natural increase. An odd euphemism, perhaps, or maybe statisticians speak for having babies. Citizens having babies was, everyone assumed, the way the population would increase. Sometime in the 1960s, Canadians, now mostly urban, not needing large families for the farm, collectively decided to have fewer babies. So few, in fact, that because the birth rate was less than two children per two adults, we would shrink and not grow. This decline in birth rate, by the way, was one of the social factors that led Margaret Atwood to imagine Gilead in the original Handmaid's Tale. In an interview from 1985 with then-CBC host Peter Zosky, she said, In societies in which the birth rate goes plummeting down below replacement, the society's got two choices. Either it can gently slide into oblivion and vanish from the face of the earth, or you can control birth. And that's what was happening in Gilead. Surprisingly, perhaps, Canada came up with a third option. By the late 1990s, immigrants moving here had become the main source for population growth in Canada. And where before most of the immigrants were from Europe, the new ones were primarily coming from non-European, that means non-white, non-Western countries. Between 2001 and 2011, 65% two-thirds of the population increase came from this net international migration. In 2036, over 80% of the increase will come through immigration. Think about what this means, not just for life in the urban centers. What does it mean for the suburbs, for small towns hoping to survive, for businesses, for bosses, for all of us? No matter how you cut it, these are pretty significant changes in the makeup of the Canadian population. And since Canada is us, how has that impacted us economically, socially, personally? Oh, there's been stressors, to be sure. But generally, the overall impact has been positive. For example, the Centre for International Governance Innovation recently published a major report that sought to provide comprehensive research into the economic and social impact of diversity in the workforce. Here's a part of what they discovered. Viewed across all sectors, 
ethnocultural diversity was associated with an increase in revenue and an increase in workplace productivity. The relationship between ethnocultural diversity and performance was strongest in sectors that depend on creativity and innovation. The report goes on to note, the benefits of diversity include access to a wider talent pool, the innovation and creativity that comes with different points of view, the ability to develop and tailor services to a more diverse group of customers at home, and improved understanding of market opportunities abroad. The authors speak about this as our, quote, diversity dividend, and believe it gives us as a nation an advantage in the global economy. What then about our churches in the face of all of this? Do they share in this diversity dividend? What do they do with birth rates that are below replacement levels? How do they, how do we envision our future? Really, that's the focus of the next episode. Historically, Canada was among the Western countries that considered itself to be a Christian country. This link underlay some of our most cherished values. For example, Medicare, which came out of the CCF party, which itself grew out of the social gospel but it also underlay some of our darkest times, residential schools, the exclusion of Jews following World War II. For good or ill, the churches have been an integral part of our national identity and character. As they influence Canadian social trends, so Canadian social trends also influence the church. Our growth patterns, for example, closely resembled each other. Will that change? In our next podcast, we'll look at some of the difficult questions facing the church, but these same questions, it's not only the churches, but all of our social institutions need to face them. Schools, university, public sector and private. You see, it has to do with our shared psychology, our identity. Assuming we do not want to stop immigration and move into a time of population decline, then what choices are ours? Do we embrace this new reality, reshaping our institutions to be truly intercultural? Or do we stubbornly insist on allegiance to the way things once were, and in so doing, reject the values and identities of so many? And then, perhaps, in the words of Margaret Atwood, gently slide into oblivion. If we choose to be true to our roots, to intentionally keep widening the circle, what will that mean for you and me, for how we live and interact with others? The idea of building a wall appealed to some of our neighbors to the south. But if we don't want to build some kind of a metaphoric wall to keep the strangers away, then what can help us adapt, change, those of us who have been here longer? These are questions that need conversation. To help that conversation, you can find resources in future podcasts and in some of the downloadable material on the website. I am grateful to the United Church Foundation, which through its McGeechee Scholarship funded this research, and to the United Church's Intercultural Ministries and Publishing House for their support. At openout.ca, you can find links to the different demographic studies mentioned in this podcast. If you want specific information on your region or community, you can find it in resources produced by Statistics Canada. If you need a bit of help, you can let me know via Facebook or the contact information on the website. Our goal in all of this is simply to help our struggling minds. They're doing their best to protect us, 
hardwired as they are to resist change and view the unfamiliar as a potential threat. We can help our brains a bit, help them open to the possibilities of this ever-changing context, this new Canada. We'll explore some specific ways to do that in podcasts 8 and 9 on unconscious bias. And we'll explore the impact on the church in our next episode.